Thanks for tuning in to listen to the Drosh for this week's Parsha reading. Stay tuned after the Drosh for details on how to stay in touch with this ministry and keep up with all of our content. I hope you enjoy the message. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Our portion is Vayetze. And in the Brik Hadashah of our portion, we have these words, which are, in my view, a little bit unappreciated in the realm of faith. And it's when Yeshua saw Netanel coming to him. And he said of him, Behold, a true son of Israel, in whom there is no guile. And um, I know in the past I've looked at that and thought, man, it'd be cool to be thought of that way by Yeshua. You know, and, and I thought of it only as a personal thing, perhaps, between Yeshua and Nathaniel. But now, I think it's a little bit bigger than that. And I think Yeshua is expressing the idea that there are not, not everyone who is descended of Abraham is a Jew. Because that's what he said. You're a true son of Israel. And then he said this, which is sort of a, a four-letter sentence to define what a true Jew is. There is no guile in him. So... Guile, you can, in the English, you can hear the word guilt in it, right? So immediately you can kind of get an idea of what it may be about. In the Aramaic, it's the nekla. And that is what it means. In, in Aramaic dictionaries, it is defined this way. Guile, the word denekla is defined as guile. So the translation got it right. Guile is a good word. And, but the Aramaic dictionary goes on and says deceitfulness. Guileful acts, deceits, secretly, deceitfully. So when it gets switched to an adjective or an adverb, another word is a defector, to defect. Um, And the last one would be conspiracy. English dictionaries define the word guile this way. So we've got it out of Aramaic into English, but now let's make sure that we understand what the English is telling us through the word guile and see if it matches the Aramaic definition. And the English dictionaries put it this way, treacherous cunning, skillful deceit, a trick or stratagem, disposition to deceive or cheat, insidious artifice. That's being fake. Craft and cunning. So Yeshua said of Netanel, whose name, by the way, means given of God or gift of God. Yeshua said of him, there is no guile in him. He's describing, Yeshua is describing a type of person here in describing Netanel, a gift from God. He says he is a true Israelite. And in in the Hebrew from the Aramaic, that is, Bemet ben Yisrael, Bemet. In truth, he is a son of Israel. So I want to understand that properly, especially in the day and age that we live in, because everybody's claiming to be the true sons of Israel. And don't worry, this is not going to be a two-house treatise. 
But everybody today is trying to link themselves back to Israel in some way and saying, we're the real Israel. We are the true Israel. I've heard it a thousand times in the last three or four years. Yeshua himself was standing in and among the physical genetic sons of Israel when he said that Netanel was a true son of Israel. And Yeshua himself was, not only was he a son of Israel, but he was the son of Israel. So Yeshua is the one who is going to define who a son of Israel is because of who Yeshua is, right? And he's telling us there's no deceit, there's no trickery, there's no treachery, there's no fakeness. That's a true son of Israel. Yeshua himself was the promised seed that was promised to the man Israel. Israel, when you say that today, you think of a nation. But today we're going to talk about the person Israel. And a lot of times, even we sometimes forget that Israel was a person. And I was thinking as we were standing there reading about him, we don't study this guy enough. People don't study this guy enough. We don't get, you know, we go Abraham, Moses, David, Yeshua. And heck, the nation that gave birth to the Son of God was named Israel. This is an important man. The man we're reading about, his name in our reading is still Yaakov. Yaakov is on the run. He's left home. He's running from his brother, whom he tricked with guile for the blessing or for the birthright, right? And the blessing. He's tricked him twice with guile and deceit. Yaakov goes to Haran, which is the home that Abraham left, the God that Abraham was called out of. So it's almost like the nation that God is foreclosing is going backwards. It's almost like it wasn't intended for him to go there. And we know that God works together, works all things for his purposes. It didn't catch him by surprise, but Jacob wasn't supposed to go there. This was all him paying for his mistakes. Right? He goes to Haran and makes a home. Then he tricks his father-in-law slash uncle out of his wages. He does that, however, with Abba's help. So that's something that perhaps we need to look deeper into. Then he has to leave there running from Lavan. So he ran away from home because his brother was chasing him. And now he's running away from home again back toward his other home, his first home because his father-in-law slash uncle is chasing him. He's been driven out twice by his closest kin. On the first, on his exodus, let's say, let's go back 20 years, when he, when he left that home, and that's what we're reading about in our portion, he has this fantastic dream. He sees a stairway. And I've told you, I fully believe, and, and, and uh, the, the ancient sages do as well, that it was a spiral. 
the sulam that was there was a spiral. The reason I believe it is because the samech is described that way, the way you draw it. And that starts the, that word sulam for ladder. Stairway is probably a better one. It's spiral in nature and it's going from the spot that he is sleeping on. He's dreaming. And the ladder is going from that spot up into the heavens. And then it says, and behold. And for some reason, this just registered with me more clearly than it ever has when I read this. Yahweh stood beside him. He's in a dream. But this is, this is Yahweh evincing himself inside of Jacob's dream, standing beside him. And he said, I am Yahweh, the Elohim of Abraham, your father, the Elohim of Yitzchak, the land whereon you lie, to you will I give it, and to your seed. So we're talking about the fact that Yeshua is the seed of Jacob. And yes, this sentence that I just read is meant to be spoken about the children born after him, those 12 children. Yes, he's going to give this land to those 12 children. What's happening here is Jacob is running. God stops him and says, I'm going to give you this land. Maybe God was saying, what are you, what are you running for? Where are you going, boy? This is the land I'm going to give to you. But he makes a promise to him, and he's basically reiterating the promise that he made to Avraham, that he had also reiterated to Isaac. He's now reiterating it to Jacob, reaffirming the covenant that he made. And we know that Yeshua is that singular seed that comes out of Avraham through Isaac, through Yaakov, through David, through Miriam, who is descended from all of these men. And Shaul writes, now the promises were made to Avraham and to his seed as a covenant. And people still read that and think of the nation. But Shaul is explaining here, he did not say to your seeds as of many, but to your seed as of one, and that is Messiah. On Yaakov's second journey, when he's running from his family again, he's going back to the south. He's in fear on both sides now. He's got Edom in front of him and Lavan behind him. He's got red in front of him and white behind him. He's got murder in front of him and fakeness behind him. On his way out, he had murder behind him, and he didn't realize he was going to have fakeness in front of him. Now he knows. He's caught in the middle. This time he doesn't dream a dream. 20 years have gone by, and God has allowed him to go do what he's going to do. Now God's driving him back. This is where I wanted you, boy. And now God visits him himself in the form of a malach, a messenger. This time it's not a dream. This time a man shows up, and we know who that is with hindsight, but Jacob didn't at first. But a man shows up and picks a fight with him, and I still revel over that. God picked the fight. 
He started, that's the way it reads. If you, I've checked it a thousand times. If you read it, the, the man started the fight with Yaakov. And they wrestled all night long. Went so long that the messenger finally had to snap Jacob's hip. I believe it's probably his hip flexor. I don't know. And now he's a new man. And he said, your name shall be called no more Yaakov, but Israel, for you have striven with Elohim and with men and have prevailed. Lo Yaakov yamer od shimcha ki im Yisrael. You could say that literally. Your, not Jacob will, will anyone say your name, but Israel. No one's going to call you Jacob anymore, but Yisrael. For you have striven with Elohim and with men and in, in, in Hebrew, it's tuchal, and that comes from yochel, which means I am able. You will, it gets translated as prevail, and that's not wrong. I'm just giving you the idea behind the root word. You will be able. And the funny thing is, is Jacob was physically disabled that day. For the rest of his life, he left that fight with a limp. And it was visible to everyone around him. And I believe it is symbolic of him being a broken man and finally submitting to God. His name had changed, I believe, because his nature changed that night. Before, all he was worried about was this life. That's all he cared about was what's going on right now in my life. Going forward, all he's worried about is the kingdom of God and making the gospel come to pass by making sure that his family behaves. Before, you can see that he wasn't involved in training his children very much. He had chaos in his house. Remember that chapter? Utter chaos. He had to be broken. I got to thinking about this because I've talked about it before. People think Yaakov, Jacob, was a sissy boy because they said he dwelt in tents and he cooked soup. They think he was frail and feminine. I got two things to show you. That's just ridiculous. At 60 years old, he wrestled with a, an angel who don't get tired all night long. A 60-year-old, I'm 57, I'm almost 60. Them boys at this school try to wrestle me, and I get a little, <laughs> for, about, for about two minutes, and I can feel the fatigue in my body. 30 years ago, I wrestled a guy for about an hour, and I had to break his rib to end the fight. We were worn slap out one hour, and he was my equal. Jacob wrestled someone far superior to him in strength and endured all night long as 60 years old. This was a man's man. But there's something better that maybe you've never seen before that shows you how what brute strength Jacob has. And it reminds me of my son. People think the same thing of my son. My son is artsy. He plays piano. He's a little soft around the edges. But that is, he will terrify you with his strength. 
He's as strong as me and he doesn't work out. In our portion, we read this, and back on Sunday morning, I still remember reading it and thinking, oh my gosh, I've never realized this before. Yaakov moved that wellstone by himself. Chapter 29, verse 3, it says, and there, there this, it gives us the narrative, it gives us the situation that Jacob finds himself in. There were all the flocks gathered, and they... In other words, all the shepherds waited until the, all the shepherds got there and they rolled the stone off the well. But when Rachel showed up, Jacob was like, wait a minute. And he goes over there and moves that stone himself. While he was yet speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she, she tended them. And it came to pass when Yaakov saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, that's a man. But it was not his physical prowess for which he was named. But might and strength is implied in the name Israel. Sarata, you have striven, you have fought, you have struggled with men. Yisrael. A lot of interpretations say, and this is sort of right, that it means a prince with God. And I've said that before, and it's right. But what God said His name means is you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed, or you are able. You're still around. You have, you have endured, you could say. You could read that a little more literally and say you have striven with little g-gods and with men, and have prevailed, and that wouldn't be wrong because Jacob did struggle with lesser deities. That's God's interpretation of the name Israel. It does, Sarata comes from the root word Sar, which does mean prince. So I don't want to leave that out. Are you with me? We, you, by now you should know the Hebrew language is utterly flexible and has a lot of stuff in it. Right? God had already chosen Yaakov and he was aptly named Yaakov because when they were born, his brother was exiting the womb first and Yaakov reaches up and grabs him by the heel because he wants to be the first one out. That's the implication. He wants to be the Bechor. He wants that birthright. And he grabs that ankle. And what did we learn? They struggled in the womb as two nations. Right? And so the struggle is going on all the way up through the birth. And because of that, he's named Yaakov, which is the root word is Ekev, heel. And that's why he was grabbed. He grabbed the heel, and that's why he was named Yaakov. But it's a verb. And Esav, his brother, tells us what it means. Because when he took the birthright from him, he said, Is he not rightly named Yaakov? For he has supplanted me these two times. Usurper, 
one who overthrows, one who tricks, supplants, to do away with, to, get at, to knock out of the way. And God knew that about his nature as the man Yaakov, but God wanted him. God had another name for him. If I'm, if I'm remembering right, and I, go ahead and check me because I want you checking me. His mother named him. She named the boys. They named Esau after his, hairy, his, his red hair, and they named Yaakov after the fact that he grabbed the heel. They weren't God-given names. Are you with me? Yitzchak's name was God-given before his birth. Yaakov's wasn't. Avraham was named Avram when he was born. God had to change his name. The thing that I'm pointing out is the name changes because of the change of nature in the person. And predicted names are because of the name of the nature of the person that they're gonna, and the thing that they're going to do for God. That's why they're given those names. God saw Yaakov and the struggle he would have with him before he ever struggled with him. And he said, the elder shall serve the younger. Right? Remember last week's drosh? God didn't, it, none of this fooled God. But he had to change the nature of Yaakov. And he did so by fighting with him all night long and snapping his hip, and that's a physical fight that is symbolic of what all of us go through with God until we get to the place where we're going to do what he wants us to do. Period. And then we're going to have to rely on him for the rest of our lives because he's going to give us a limp. And this is what Shaul is talking about when he says, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Hasatan. And that's where we get our song, My compassion is enough for you because my strength is perfect in weakness. People want to be strong. And God wants you weak. Walking in His strength. If you feel weak, hallelujah. Grab on to the one who can get you through it. Right? He was saying to Netanel, in truth, he is a son of Yisrael, in whom there is no guile, no trickery, no deceit, no guilt, no treachery, no murder, nothing false. Lavan, if you haven't figured it out, is lily white, fake. He was fake. He pretended to love God, but he had idols in his house. And that's what he came after Jacob over, was his idols. False accusations. And Jacob didn't have it. Edom, Esav, his name changed to Edom because of red. He liked the red soup. But he had murder in his heart. Shaul shows us that Yeshua's words about Netanel, whose name is now in history for one reason alone. It's the only mention of him in the Bible. 
because he had no guile in him. And I believe Yeshua there is describing people who are in his kingdom. A real Yodi, this is Shaul, saying, extrapolating what Yeshua said. Yeshua said, here is a real Jew, one who, in whom there is no guile. And then Shaul says, a real Yodi is one who is inwardly so, and circumcision is of the heart, spiritually, and not literally. Jacob was a circumcised man, the, the primary son of Abraham. Whose praise is not from men, but from Elohim. The only thing that we look for in people when they come into our doors to worship is whether or not they have a circumcised heart. I don't care how they're dressed. I don't care how much money they make. I don't care how much they contribute. I don't even know how much people contribute. I don't care. All I care about is whether or not they are going to follow the same rabbi we do. And it ain't me. It's Yeshua. That's all I care about. Circumcision is the wound that God put in Abraham's flesh. And it's still with us today. Limping on the thigh was the wound that God put in Israel's flesh. Do you realize that that was because of a sin that Abraham committed? And I believe the snapping of the hip is because of 20 years of Jacob just doing his own thing. Relying on his own strength. I showed you how strong he was. And now, Yisrael, what does Yahweh your Elohim require of you? This is out of Devarim chapter 10, Deuteronomy chapter 10, the very definition of a circumcised heart that we just read about. We're going to go a little deeper, though. What does Elohim require of you but to fear Yahweh your Elohim, to walk in all His ways, and to love Him, and to serve Yahweh your Elohim with all your heart and with all your soul? To keep for your good the mitzvot of Yahweh and his chukot, his commandment and his statutes, which I command you this day. Behold, unto Yahweh your Elohim belongs the heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that therein is. Only Yahweh had a delight in your fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you above all peoples as it is this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. For Yahweh your Elohim, He is Elohim of gods, and Adoneha Adonim, El Gibor, that's God Almighty, or the mighty God, the mighty, the awesome, who regards not persons nor takes reward. You can't bribe Him. You can't be better than other people in His sight. He does execute justice for the fatherless, the widow, he loves the stranger, giving him food and raiment. Love, therefore, the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Mitzrayim. You shall fear Yahweh your Elohim, and him shall you serve. To him shall you cleave, and by his name shall you make an oath. 
He is your glory and He is your Elohim that has done for you these great and tremendous things. And of course, they know what they saw. And if you read on, Moshe tells them, your children here, they didn't see what you saw. But you saw it. You saw the plagues on Egypt. You saw the cloud in the desert. You saw the parting of the Red Sea. You saw the manna. You ate it for 40 years. You saw all of these things. And, that's, and he's calling their, that to their mind. All right? But for us... We can apply those words to ourselves, and we should, because we're told in the book of Romans to have a circumcised heart, and that is what a real Jew is. And it's summed up in what Yeshua said. No deceit, no guile, no fakery. You don't put up a false pretense of righteousness. You peel yourself down to the weak person that you are, and you expose yourself vulnerably, vulnerably to your brothers, and they do the same thing. That's the ideal. And we're getting there. We didn't have it in our past, but we're getting there. And I will never go back to where fake people come through that door and pretend to be righteous. The biggest moment that we have to look at is Yeshua conquering sin and death on our behalf. So for that reason, we should circumcise our hearts. You want to talk about strength. Yeshua was torn open and carried that log out of the city and up a hill, probably almost a mile, if not a little more. But down a hill with a log on your back, it's hard to do. Up a hill with a log on your back, it's hard to do. I believe he was executed on Mount, the Mount of Olives and Kidron Valley is low and that base of that mountain is steep, isn't it? Those of you who have seen it. On that side, it's steep. That was strength. But the strength of Yeshua is measured in the fact that he endured spiritually and endured. We now understand before we, before we became saved, and this is what is mind-boggling about people who leave Yeshua and they do it all the time. What's mind-boggling is, is, is that they, they must forget what it felt like to have their sins lifted off of them. They have to have forgotten that because that's what keeps me going. And it happened for me 40-some-odd years ago. I'm 57 almost. In about five days, four days, I'll be 57. And I was saved at 11, so you do the math. I don't want to do it. But that's how long it's been, and I still remember what it felt like for him to lift that sin off of me. And I remember him doing it over and over and over again for me. Therefore shall you love Yahweh your Elohim and keep his charge and his statutes and his judgments and his commandments always. That is why I keep his commandments. Because of what he did for me. I don't count on flesh. Nobody should count on flesh. God is not a respecter of persons. He's not looking at your flesh and saying, are you really a son of Abraham? Your DNA is corrupt. Get out of here. And that's what people are teaching. Are you really a son of Abraham? You wear tzitzit tied the wrong way. You're not wearing a kippah. You're not wearing a 
fedora. You're not doing this. You're not, you're not doing the phylacteries. You're not a son of Abraham. You're not black. You're not white. You're not this. That's what people justify their faith on these days. Lo yisafanim. Literally, that means he will not lift up faces. He's not going to make you proud. He's not going to play favorites. A circumcised heart is so much more than the outward commands that we can see. And I've said it over and over. Anybody can put on a tallit. Anybody can keep the Sabbath. Anybody can keep the feast. All of those things are the easiest things in the world to do. They do not make you a Jew. They do not make you saved. They, do not, they are not evidence of your salvation. Anybody can do those things. It's that dirty junk of the heart that's the fruit that Yeshua is talking about. Good fruit or bad fruit. It's how you look at people. It's how you think about them. It's how you talk about them. It's how you address them, how you deal with them, whether or not you're good to them, whether or not you're deceitful. And so many people in my life have been deceitful to me. And I, I, I'm, I'm not playing that game no more. <laughs> I'm going to do it. It's about love. Love for the fatherless, love for widows, love for strangers. That's what was just said. Because it's deceitfulness to say that you believe in God and not care for a, a, someone who cannot take care of themselves. That is hypocrisy. If you say that you love God and you can't love your, your fellow human being, you are the biggest hypocrite in the world because you don't know God. That's why Yeshua's own brother, who grew up with Yeshua, and if I'm, I might be wrong, but he was pretty close to him in the line of brothers. Yeshua had six or seven brothers and six or seven sisters. He had a big family. And this would have been one that was closer to him. Because I'm one of five. I didn't know number one very well because he was off. By the time I got up to where I was cognizant of things, he was already almost out the door. I think Yaakov was closer in the line to Yeshua. The point that I'm making is not only did he know him as a human being, he knew him as his Savior. And he said this, For if any is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who sees his face in a mirror. For he sees himself and goes his way and forgets how he looked. But whoever looks into the Torah of complete liberty and abides in it. Back then they didn't have a Bible to study that had Genesis in the front and Revelation in the back. The only thing they had was the Torah and the prophets. That was it. And he's saying anybody who looks into the Torah of perfect liberty, it's not a slave book like a lot of people teach, and abides in it, and that ought to clue you in that the Torah is an expression of Yeshua's person because he said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, he is not a merely a hearer of it, which can be forgotten, but a doer of the work. And this man shall be blessed in his labor. If any man thinks that he ministers to Elohim, and the, the translation, the traditional translation is true religion is this, but this is a better translation, not just because I did it, but because it's more faithful to the words. If any man thinks that he ministers to Elohim, 
And the reason I wanted to point that out is because a minister to Elohim is what people call a priest. A minister, a rabbi, a pastor, all these titles that people have. And does not control his tongue. He deceives his own heart. Bam, there's the guile. And I learned a long time ago that I can deceive myself on things. Anybody ever deceive yourself? And this man's ministry is in vain. Anything you do outside of being submitted to God and loving Him and being devoted to His ministry, His service, and what He wants you to do is vanity. For a pure and consecrated ministry before Elohim the Father is this, to visit the fathers and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So there's three different ways that we've looked at what it means to be a true Israelite. And that's what it means. And it has nothing to do with how righteous you are in this earth in the eyes of men. And I don't answer to other people in regard to my walk with God. As long as I'm not doing the things, and I've said this and I tried to teach it, and it didn't take. I was telling somebody this morning, I preached my heart out and things didn't take because I tried over and over and over to, to, to teach people that if, if they're not breaking, if they're not committing any of the sins in Galatians 5, leave them alone. But everybody's looking on the surface. Everybody that, that has a smoke screen thinks that everybody else is putting up a smoke screen. Guile is more than one idea. It's rooted in self-deceit, fakery, and pretension. Edom deceived himself. Esau, Edom, deceived himself when he thought he could put off the responsibility of the birthright until the end. That was self-deceit. And still get the blessing. And because he did that, he ended up having murder in his heart. Lavan was pretentious and gave lip service to Jacob's God while having idols in his home, pretending to be a giver to Jacob, but truly being on the take from him. Yaakov was too busy building his own life and thinking about his material wealth, thinking about the here and now. He wasn't worried about his own household and the responsibility of carrying the seed of Messiah. That wasn't on his mind yet. And that was, the, that was why God twice reminded him of the covenant, first in a dream and then when he wrestled with him. You're a part of a greater thing that's bigger than yourself. And everyone who comes into covenant with Yeshua is part of a greater thing, that, that it, and it, you're, it's bigger than you. It's bigger than your personal problems. It's bigger than petty differences between other people. It's bigger than that. 
I got to thinking about this. No Jew in history ever knew that they had the seed of Messiah in them after Jacob, except for David. What, I, what do I mean by this? Abraham was told, your seed after you. He knew that the seed of Messiah was in him. Yitzhak was told, your seed after you. He knew that the seed of the Messiah was in him. Yaakov was told, your seed after He knew. He had 12 sons. It's kind of up in the air. They were told that Yehuda would, would get the kingship. Okay, so we've narrowed it down to that guy. He's got the seed of Messiah in him. But after that, Yehuda had a bunch of sons. And you don't get to anybody until you get to David that says, the seed is in you. Second Samuel 7. Unto my servant David, Yahweh says, this is what Yahweh Tevaot says. I took you from the sheep coat, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people, over Yisrael. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name like unto the name of the great ones that are in the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Yisrael and will plant them that they may dwell in their own place and be disquieted no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them anymore as at the first, even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Yisrael. And I will cause you, David, to rest from all your enemies. Moreover, Yahweh tells you that Yahweh will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you shall sleep with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you. That shall proceed out of your body. And I will establish his malchut, his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him for a father. And he shall be to me for a son. Big old prediction that Messiah would be the son of God. Even though this is fulfilled in Solomon, the rest of it's not. Solomon built a physical house. The one that God has is different. And Yeshua is building that one right now. You guys remember that, right? I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men, but my compassion shall not depart from him as I took it from Shaul, whom I put away before you. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. And then, 14 generations later, actually 28 maybe, I'd have to look. Miriam gets the announcement. She's a daughter of David. And then Yosef, who is a son of David, 14 or whatever generations later. But if we really think about it, the same thing that was told to them is told to us. You've got to walk with me into a deeper level here to understand what I'm trying to communicate. The seed of Abraham that was promised to him is sown in our hearts. Yeshua said this, Because to you it is granted to know the sword, the mystery of the kingdom of heaven, but it is not granted to them. So Yeshua is talking about his disciples, people who are following him. He says, To you it's granted to know the mystery. And that mystery is Messiah in us, the hope of our glory. That's Colossians 2 that I'm quoting there. He gives them the parable of the sower. Everybody here knows it. Most people out there in TV land know it. Everybody that's anybody that's read the Bible any, or listened to preachers, they've heard it before. But a lot of people don't really understand the depth of it. The sower went out to sow and he dropped seed on 
four or five different kinds of ground, right? And Yeshua, they wanted him to explain it to them. He said, listen to the mashal, the proverb, the parable, the proverb, the story, the explanation, the prophecy of the seed. Mashal is a prophecy. It was, it was prophecy first in the Bible. Whoever hears Devar Hamalchut, the word of the kingdom, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away the word which has been sown in his heart. The word is the seed. The word was the seed that was given to Avraham. Faith was the seed that was given to Avraham. You think I'm going too far? Some people will. It's sown in us, and our soil has to be good. It has to be cultivated. It has to go through the life cycle. We sow it in others. Has the word stopped being sown in the world? Was Yeshua done planting his crop 2,000 years ago? No. We sow it in other people. If we belong to him, if we're not just scattering garbage seed, and a lot of people are. But we have to do it the way that Yeshua did it. We have to sow seed the way that Yeshua did it. We have to remove the blinders. We can't just complain about blind eyes. <laughs> we have to remove them. We have to mend broken hearts. There's a lot of people out there hurt. Hurt by mankind in general, hurt by religion. Their hearts are broken. People are in prison, but we have to get them out. Not physically. Can't just go open the gates of all the prisons. That's ridiculous. We're talking about spiritual bondage. Things that trap people and keep them from walking. There are, there are a lot of people out there who have vices that they know they can't break away from and it makes them feel like a hypocrite to want to be a believer, to want to serve God. Because they think they have no power over that vice. And here's the thing, they're still wrestling with God about it. Pray that they snap. <laughs> Pray that God breaks their hip in a spiritual way, that he, that he gets them to the point where, that God gets to the point where he's done. Are you with, do you catch that? More, more important, we have to want to sow his word in other people. We have to want that. Be faithful to it. In order to do it truthfully, we have to have the seed, Messiah Yeshua, in us, be broken by him and strengthened by him. That's, that was Jacob. So I'm going to read one more passage from you and for you from Ephesim Ephesians chapter 6. From henceforth, my brethren, be strong in Adonainu. Be strong in him, not in yourself, in him and in the power of his might. 
Put on the whole armor of Elohim that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the accuser. And this scripture gets beaten down. It's almost cliche now. People use it so much. I see memes about it all the time, but very few people are actually doing it. Putting on the armor of God. For your war is not with flesh and blood. You are not fighting people. No one, if we're fighting with people, we are heavily distracted. It's an utter waste of time. I don't do it anymore. I don't engage myself on Facebook. People try to provoke me into it all the time, and I don't bite. Ain't taking that bait no more. Ain't got time for it. Ain't lis man We fight with authorities, with powers, with rulers of this world of darkness, and with evil spirits under the heavens. And spirits are the prognosticators of doctrine. Therefore, put on the whole armor of Elohim that you may be able to meet the evil one and being prepared, you shall stand firm. Arise, therefore, and gird your loins with truth. And we've had the description of what it means to be a true Israelite. Put on the breastplate of righteousness and have your feet shod with the preparation of Habesorah, of Shalom, the good news of peace. Together with these, take for yourselves the shield of Amunah, for with it you shall be able to quench all the flaming darts of the evil one. Put on the helmet of Yeshua, salvation, a knowledge of Yeshua as your head. The concept of wearing a cover, my students ask me about it all the time. Why do you wear that thing? And I, Because I am acknowledging that God is my head. He's my cover. He's my God. He's the one that I follow. This is a constant reminder to me. It's not for you. I told him, I said, I wear a black one most of the time because it's not about the other people seeing it. it happens to match my hair. When I turn gray, I'm going to have to buy a gray one. <laughs> More gray. <laughs> the knowledge of Yeshua as our Messiah is, is paramount. Your head is the most critical part of your body. That's why he's saying, put a helmet on your brain. The doctrine, the junk that you put in your brain, if it's not filtered through the knowledge of Yeshua, it is garbage. Garbage. I don't care how well it's dressed and how sweet it sounds. If it's not, if it's not being measured against Yeshua's teaching about the Torah, it is junk. It's refuse. It's dung. Take up the sword of Haruach, the spirit, which is Devar HaElohim. The word of God is the sword. And people don't use it against evildoers. Most of what Christianity and people and Messianic people are doing and, and Jewish people are doing is wielding it at each other. And it makes me sick. I'm sick of it. I don't want to have discussions about little petty doctrines with people. 
We have established ours. I will discuss it with people when they come in here and tell them why we believe what we believe. And if they show me something where I'm wrong, you guys know I'll change it. If, I'm, if, if, if it can be proven out of the word that, I, that my doctrine is bad, I will flip it because I'm concerned about him. I wanna, I'm following him. But don't you come in here saying that Rabbi so-and-so said. I don't care. I do not care. Pray always with all prayer and supplication in Haruach, in the Spirit, in the presence of God. And in that prayer, be watchful all times, praying constantly and supplicating for all the Kedoshim, the holy ones. And for me also, and this is Paul saying it on a personal level to the congregation at Ephesus. For me also, that the words may be given to me as soon as I open my mouth, so that I may boldly declare the mystery, the sod of Habesorah, the mystery of the gospel, which is the body of Yeshua that was physical and is still physical and is now spiritually extended to this earth in our bodies. That's the mystery of the gospel. And why in the world are religious people who claim all claim to follow him cutting each other up? For which I am a messenger in chains that I chains that I may speak boldly about it as I ought to speak. Yes, we need to speak boldly about the good news. But we have to do it the way that Yeshua did it. And I believe that he was trying to give us a message. That was right at the beginning of his ministry when he called Netanel. Right at the beginning. And he said, and, and here's the thing. We never see that guy again. He's not an apostle. How many of you thought he was an apostle? He's not an apostle. He's just a guy. He's just a Jew who's a friend of Andrew. Andrew was the, uh, the apostle. I believe that was who saw him, right? Yeah. But he's never mentioned again. And that guy realized who Yeshua was before anybody. Truly. I wish I could remember exactly how he said it. Let's go back to it. Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. That's the gospel. And he knew it right away. And if you don't have it, if you don't have any guile in you, then you know you don't, if you don't have any guile in you, if you're not yourself trying to be deceitful and play human games with other people. If you don't have all of that, then you're going to be faithful to Yeshua because these doctrines that come in that guide you away from him are built on guile. Did that come out right? Be strong in Adonainu in the power of his might. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to listen to the Drosh for this week's Parsha. In the description, you'll find all the links to our websites and social media content. Please make sure you're subscribed to our podcast as we can be found on all major podcast platforms. 
If you feel compelled to support this ministry, please feel free to do so by donating via the Get the Word Out link in the description. All proceeds go toward growing this platform and the Mikdash Mayot ministry. Until the next time, we pray God blesses you with shalom in the name of Yahweh Yeshua Mashiach.